by religious leaders and powers. The love who lives and guides us among the marginalized and outcast. May your holy scripture, O God, guide us in the love so that it lives forever in our hearts. Amen. So today's scripture continues from last week where we read how David went out and slayed Goliath. And we reflected on how God helps us make ways out of no way. And then this is the continuation of that story where David comes and is recognized triumphant. And he uh, comes before Saul, the the first king of the ancient um, kingdom of Judah and Israel. And Jonathan, Saul's son, falls instantly in love with David. And this was one of the first stories to be adopted by the LGBTQ uh, folks who wished to write themselves, write ourselves, into a tradition from which we had previously felt excluded. And this story opens up that love is multifaceted, it is complex, it is not simply something that happens romantically between men and women. It is something that is more vast and more mysterious than how it was understood for many, many generations, especially here in the Western world, in Europe and America. The 16th century Spanish mystic, John of the Cross, is one of the many writers who used this story of same-sex love as a model for divine love. John of the Cross wrote, The love Jonathan bore for David was so intimate that it knitted his soul to David's. If the love of one man for another was that strong, what will be the tie caused through the soul's love for God, the bridegroom? And John of the Cross wrote that in the spiritual canticle. And mystics have often had a different understanding of love's power, that it can take so many different forms between people who are same-gendered or opposite-gendered. It can be platonic or romantic. And that really, sometimes these relationships, whether they are friendship or sexual or sometimes a mix of both, somewhere in between that flow in and out, that all of these ways of being and loving each other are indeed holy when we see the fullness and value the fullness and dignity of every human being. And however we find ourselves loving them, that we strive to uphold the dignity of the person whom we are loving. It reflects the love that we have for ourselves, the love that we offer to other people, and the esteem that we hold each other and God, who is the source of all love. This story of David and Jonathan is also very special in our biblical tradition because it's one of the few stories, perhaps the only one except for that little story in Ruth and Naomi, where Ruth and Naomi covenant love with each other, which is a a same-sex covenant love. We don't know whether it was romantic, but definitely honors same-sex love. 
And this story, too, has a covenant. It tells the story of how Saul took off his robe and his sword and gave them to David. Uh, How Jonathan took off his robe and his sword and gave them to David to symbolize that their souls were now knit together. Many of you probably already know that in these ancient times, thousands of years ago, especially in the Middle East, but also in other places of the world, sexuality was understood differently. There was expectation that people would have children because that was necessary for people to even just see to their lives, to grow crops, to have business. It was just part of what was expected. But same-sex love was not unusual. It could occur between married men and married women, sometimes unmarried. They could be lifelong. It could be temporary. As some of you may know, in Roman times, it was not uncommon for the uh, warriors to have a a young warrior that they were training uh, that was male and that they would have sexual relations. And this was fairly normal back then. And something that happened after the Israelites uh, were exiled is, of course, they were used as sexual slaves during their exile. And so after that exile is when we hear more of the same-sex prohibitions because people were so traumatized and felt so violated after their time in slavery. But before that, in biblical tradition, sexuality was understood as a much more fluid and diverse experience. And there wasn't sort of the same boxes that people experience today and that have been part of our European heritage for hundreds of years. And this beautiful story of David and Jonathan helps to bring life and flesh to the diversity that existed then and that in reality exists today and is becoming more and more accepted and more and more uh, normalized. This is one of the important reasons why we celebrate pride. Not only is it helpful to understand the diversity of sexual experience in our Bible, as you know, some of you know, David had eight wives along with potentially having male lovers, including Jonathan. And... uh, It's also important to not only know the history, but to reflect on our theology. Some of you have already heard the term queer theology, which came into existence roughly in the 70s and 80s. And one of the first books written on queer theology, not using that term, was a book on on the story of David and Jonathan uh, uh, by Tom Horner. I believe he was an Episcopal priest. Uh, he might have been Methodist. I, I needed to double-check that. But it was published in 1978. And since then, how, how we think about God, how God can transcend definition, God's love transcends definition, and how God tr- God's self transcends gender and sex, which is why in the UCC and here at Campbell, we are very careful to respond to God in all of God's beautiful rainbow of ways of being as mother and as father, as gender neutral, creator, maker, or simply God, the beloved, the divine. How we conceive of God really matters, and it can help us 
unthink sometimes the boxes that we inherited as children and imagine a more expansive God than maybe we have been used to because God's love and God's self is so expansive as to defy definition and defy the boxes that we would like to place God in. This is incredibly relevant for so many reasons in our world and incredibly relevant for our community today and the work and the expression of this community in this time and in this place. Even in California, where, where we think that people of the LGBTQI plus community are welcome. Still here, people are afraid of coming out. Still here, people are afraid of being their full selves. Parents with children who don't feel at home in their bodies, who feel either gender fluid, not wanting to assume sort of set ways of being male or female in the world, or folks who feel that they are sexually not at home in their bodies and decide to go through uh, changes so that they can physically change the sex of their bodies. God is within all our bodies. God loves us and our bodies. Our bodies are a temple of God. And the multiplicity of God's expression in the world. And so all of these ways of expressing and being are holy and blessed by God. And so our community, by affirming the holiness and worthiness and belovedness of being in bodies in all of these ways, is a ministry. It's a testimony And it is an affirmation of of the divinity and the vastness of God's love. This was made plain to me again recently. I have been taking a continuing education course on trauma-informed therapy and spiritual care. And as the little video pointed out right at the beginning of worship, we saw these world faith leaders from Hindu, Buddhist, uh, Christian, Jewish, and other communities speak out and say, affirm the belovedness of everybody, of every sexual orientation, of every way of being transgender or gender fluid in the world. It's so important because religious traditions, not just ours, have said that some bodies are not holy. Some bodies who are sexually different than the norm or are varied in color, are less holy and less valued. And so it is so important that we change that narrative. And it's important, too, because in this milieu of colleagues, I'm with 260 colleagues from all around the globe, mainly from America, but we have folks of Middle Eastern uh, descent, people in Australia in this course, So many of them have grown up in secular homes now because the world, as you know, is becoming increasingly secular. So many have not even known that a religious tradition affirms LGBTQ peoples. And so in this setting where I represent a community that is LGBTQI affirming, it really surprises people because folks who have not heard of this way of being both religious and true to our holy scripture and Christian and valuing religious tradition and valuing all people, this seems really radical to folks, both religious and non-religious, who don't know that this exists. And it is such a core value 
And it is so sad to me that this is so unusual or so unknown. And so it is so, again, so important that even this community, we may feel small sometimes, we may feel that we struggle, and yet by our very existence, we are a powerful testimony to God's love in the world. We welcomed people, I believe, in the 1980s before many people, before many churches were ready to be open and affirming. So this congregation has been bearing this witness now for decades. And what a holy and wonderful and special thing. The the theology that I root myself in may be one that you have heard less about. We've talked about queer theology But where I root my theological home is in womanist queer theology. And womanist theology grows out of black women theologians, and especially black queer female theologians, who in the United States tend to be considered right at the very bottom of social status because of the color of their skin, because of their sexual identity, Some black churches, just as predominantly white churches, struggle with sexual identity. So sometimes queer black women do not feel at home in the churches they grew up in. Our own Yvette Flander is an example of that here in California in Oakland. She was cast out of the church as a youngster preparing for ministry and then became a leader of basically her own church and then affiliated with the UCC. So this is a powerful voice, and the womanist queer theology really strives to lift up every human being, affirm the wholeness of every single person, regardless of color, of orientation, of sexual ways of being, of belief. That is the most inclusive theology I have ever encountered. And so I share it and name it here so that you are familiar with it and then can perhaps share it with other people who don't know that it exists and who feel left out. And you can say, this exists. There are ways of understanding and learning about God that include you and everyone so that you are fully beloved and I am fully beloved and all the ways in which we truly love and respect each other are blessed. Many of you know, for example, the author Alice Walker. And she is one of the founders of womanist theology, and she says that a womanist is committed to the survival and wholeness of entire people. And so I wish this for all of us. I wish for us, each of us here, our wholeness and dignity and entirety to be blessed and beloved exactly as we are. And I pray that in our lives and in our community that we affirm that for every person in the world, whether they are in our space with us or out in the globe, but that we hold them with that understanding of blessedness and belovedness. Amen.